0: We've been going through the book of Acts, uh, and for the last three weeks, Mike has been going through Acts chapter 8. And so today, we're actually going to continue that tradition, and we're going to continue working through Acts chapter 8. But before we begin, I I just want to step back for a little bit and just kind of take a a big picture view of where exactly we are in in the overall journey through uh, the book of Acts. And you'll recall that the entire book of Acts is built upon Jesus' command to his disciples in Acts 1-8. Just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The entire book revolves around this verse. Every chapter describes how the Holy Spirit is empowering uh, Jesus' followers to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in, uh, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But so far, as we've been going along, uh, we see that the Gospels really only made it as far as Samaria so far. In fact, right up until the, the martyr of Stephen, Christianity was really only found in Jerusalem. It was really only the, the Jews who had uh, become believers. However, once Saul began persecuting the church and, and the believers kind of fled Jerusalem, they started spreading the message of Jesus uh, throughout the land of Israel. They'd even went gone so far as to preach to their, their half cousins, the Samaritans. And of course, that was kind of the the focus of Mike's messages over these last few weeks about Philip preaching the message of the gospel to the Samaritans. Now, at this point, though, the gospel has not really made it past the borders of Israel. Uh, It certainly hasn't made it to the ends of the earth, as Jesus had said uh, earlier. Um, However, uh, even though Christianity is pretty much just a a Jewish thing right now, that begins to change in our passage today. Today, we're going to see the baptism of the very first, uh, I would say, the fully Gentile believer in Christ. Uh, And there's a lot of cool things to see in this passage. So before we get into it, let's pause here and pray and ask God just to, to show us something new from his word today. Dear God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather in this place uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I pray that as we look at your word, that you would speak to us. Uh, pray that we would hear you clearly uh, and that you would teach us something new about ourselves, about you, uh, about how we are to relate to you. Uh, all those things, God, we pray that you'd uh, just come and speak to us through uh, your word today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mike left off at about verse 25, when Peter and John kind of returned to Jerusalem after laying hands on these new uh, Samaritan believers. Um, So we're going to start at verse 26 today and kind of see what becomes of Philip. So verse 26 says this. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and we'll stop there. Now, even though this is a pretty short little verse and it doesn't appear to say very much, there's some really interesting things that are going on here. So let's take a look. First of all, you'll notice that Philip was instructed by the Lord to go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, according to all the the research that uh, I've read, uh, I can't verify this myself, but at that time, there was about two roads that went from uh, Jerusalem to Gaza. And and one of them was uh, a very popular, well-traveled road. And one was kind of rarely used. Uh, And probably the reason for that road being rarely used was because it was the desert road. It wasn't the, you know, the scenic oceanside highway that everybody wanted to travel. It it was the dry and dusty and kind of barren road. Not all that pleasant, uh, but that was the road that Philip was instructed to take to go from Jerusalem towards Gaza. Uh, and what's more, the, the the Greek phrase that gets translated in, in here in our passage as go south, uh, in this verse, it actually could be translated as um, go at noon. There's kind of like a, 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 kind of, if you think of like your, your sundial and whatever, th- there's, a, there's a, a hint in there that instead of going south, it could mean go at noon, in the heat of the day. Um, and so, This this kind of seems a little bit strange that Peter or that Philip's been told to go down this this barren, empty road in the heat of the day when nobody else would be traveling. Because it seems, you know, Philip's he he's a pretty good evangelist, as we've just seen, right? He's been preaching to the the crowds in Samaria and he's had a great response. Crowds of people have come to hear him and many have put their faith in him. So so Philip clearly had a, a knack or at least an empowering by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel and lead people to Christ. But now God is sending him away from Samaria, away from the the city full of people and down this this nearly abandoned road in the heat of the day when it would almost be a a guarantee that he's not going to meet anyone along the way. You know, that's not really going to help spread the gospel, is it, right? That's not going to grow the kingdom of God. That, That doesn't make a lot of good strategic sense if you're into church strategy, right? But God's sending him away. Why wouldn't God send Philip down, down the more, more populated road, right, where he's going to meet all kinds of people? Wouldn't God want him to cross paths with as many people as he could so they could share the gospel as he walks along? Or perhaps even why wouldn't God have Philip stay in Samaria? I mean, Philip had a, a, a crazy, uh, fruitful ministry. Why wouldn't God want him to stay and, and continue producing disciples in the, the place of Samaria there? Well, as we're going to see, God had a plan in mind. He didn't just send Philip down that road on a whim. God absolutely had a very specific and strategic plan for sending Philip down that specific road at that specific time, which by the way, I think is a great reminder for us. You know, sometimes God asks us to do something or to go somewhere that just doesn't make any sense at the time. You know, maybe it's as simple as God prompting us to to turn down a certain road at a certain time or or to talk to a certain person in the grocery store or whatever it is. Or maybe it is one of those more big, momentous things in life. And God asks us to to pack up our family and move to a new place or or to start a new job. Or maybe even even to, to stop a certain ministry that's proven to be fruitful in the past. You know, God asks us to do all kinds of things that that we often don't understand, but when God does that, he always has a purpose in mind. Whether it's the, the hard stuff, or the easy stuff, or the mundane stuff, or just the stuff that doesn't make sense, God has a plan and a purpose for everything that he asks us to do. We don't need to understand how or why. We can trust that God will work out all the details for it. We just need to be obedient to his voice and of course that's just what Philip did uh, verse 27 begins with so he started out all right we don't see him protesting that you know his evangelism talents would be better used here in Samaria uh, we don't see him trying to convince God that he should take the other road to Gaza, where so there would be many more people to hear the gospel we don't even see him asking why God why you know all we see from Philip is obedience and of course, this won't be the only time that we see uh, Philip promptly obeying the leading of the Lord. Uh, we're going to see it again in just a few verses, but just hold on to that thought for now. And we'll, we'll touch on that again in a few moments. But for now, let's read on. So it says in verse 27, so he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. Now, just for some clarity here, depending on what translation you have in your hands right now, instead of saying the Kandake, your particular Bible might say Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Uh, both are accurate. Both say the same thing. Uh, Candace is actually not a, a given name like you might assume, like Sue or Mary or anything like that. Uh, but it, it's a title, much like how Caesar is the title for the king of Rome or, or Pharaoh is the title for the king of Egypt, right? So, so Candace would be a title for the queen of Ethiopia, or she's also referred to as the Kandake. So depending on your translation, that's what you're going to see. So this fellow that Philip meets along this road, he he works for the Candace, the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia, and his job is the treasurer. So in today's terms, he'd be like the, the minister of finance, right? So uh, a fairly... Uh, influential, powerful type person. So what in the world is he doing out on this desert road? Well, let's read on. It says, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. All right. So it seems that this this minister of finance was a God fearing Gentile. That is, he, he's not a Jew. Um, he had come from uh, down down south in, in kind of the continent of Africa. But he had somehow learned about the, the one true God and he wanted to worship him. And so he traveled to, to Jerusalem to worship. And I, and I almost assume that he may have been his trip to Jerusalem may have been a bit of a disappointment for him. Because uh, as you read through the, the Old Testament, you see that, that as a Gentile, and, and particularly as a eunuch, he would not have been allowed to even go into the temple area, right? Uh, he was not allowed to be you know, making any sacrifices or anything like that. Uh, there were some strict rules about who was allowed to do that, and, and he was not. You know, as a Gentile, he was, he was unclean, and he was unacceptable, and so he would not have been allowed to go in and, and worship as perhaps he had hoped. So I suspect that his trip may have been a little bit of a disappointment to him. However, uh, because he did truly want to to know and and please God, uh, he had somewhere along the way acquired a, a scroll, a book of the prophet Isaiah. And this would have been quite, a, quite an expensive purchase back then, uh, unlike today when we've just got you know, stacks of Bibles on our shelves at home. Uh, the written word of God was very, very much more rare and very valuable. One commentator I read said that it probably would have cost him around the, the $25,000 in today's money to purchase this scroll of Isaiah. Um, and so we can see this man clearly really wanted to know the word of God. Now, of course I am reading between the lines a little bit. It doesn't specifically say that he he went to Jerusalem and and bought this scroll, but you know, we see him on his way home reading it. So I'm, I'm just reading between the lines a little bit, but it does serve as a good point for us to ponder here. You know, how valuable is the word of God to us? I mean, if, if the word of God wasn't so, so plentiful as it is today, you know, would we spend $25,000 on the book of Isaiah? You know, is it that valuable to us? You know, we really do live in in an amazing time in history where we've got more access to God's word than than pretty much anyone else in, in history, right? Not only do we have stacks of Bibles on our shelves at home, but we've got the word of God in our pocket, right? On our phone. We have access to it anytime, anywhere. It's pretty amazing. But do we actually read it? All right. It's incredible to know how many people have have how many Bibles at home that they've never opened. You know, you, you'll get through people's Bibles in there in pristine condition. That's not how Bibles should be. Bibles should be worn out. They should be used. They should be read. That's what they're for. Um, the first or not first. Second Timothy 316 says all scripture is inspired by God or God breathed. Right. That's from the very mouth of God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, isn't that worth more than, than $25,000, right? Isn't that a book worth reading? I would say so. And so I would encourage you that if you don't have a, a habit of reading God's word on a regular basis, you've got to get into that habit. It is, it is far more valuable than we even realize. And, and I think this Ethiopian man would agree. I don't know how much it it may have cost him to purchase this scroll, but he didn't just buy it so it could sit on his shelf at home, right? He bought it so that he could read it, and that's what he was doing. Uh, And it's here, actually, that we see some of God's purpose in bringing Philip along down this desert road. So let's read on. Verse 29. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me, and he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him? Now, I mentioned before that, that Philip's obedience to the Lord was not a, a one-time deal, uh, and again, here it seems that this is just this is habit for Philip. when God speaks, he obeys promptly, uh, and he runs up alongside this carriage, and wouldn't you know it? The man was reading from the book of isaiah what a What a coincidence for Philip, right? I mean first of all, who who would have thought that There would be anybody going down this desert road to Gaza. What a coincidence, right? In the heat of the day at that. Who would have thought that this man would have been a God-fearing Gentile? Of all things, who would have thought? And who would have thought that that man just happened to be reading God's word, but not being able quite to to understand all what was going on. And if that still weren't enough, who would have thought that Philip, of all people, would just happen to know the scriptures well enough that he could explain it to the man. What a coincidence, right? Who would have thought? Well, of course, God would have thought. This was no coincidence. God had carefully orchestrated all of it, the the people, the, the place, the timing of it all. God had arranged it so that the good news of Jesus Christ would reach not only this man, but through him, it would extend beyond the borders of Israel. It would begin reaching to the ends of the earth. You know, and God does this sort of stuff all the time. There are no coincidences in life. Every moment is a divine appointment by God. God is always at work using every situation for our good and his glory. You know, one of my, my favorite verses, uh, Paul writes in Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You know, what an encouraging promise that is. Now, of course, we don't always see the the immediate good in our situation, right? It's not always so obvious uh, to us as maybe it was to, to Philip. In fact, there are times when we may never see the good in our situations this side of heaven. But we can be assured that God is always at work and he's bringing about his purposes in every situation of our lives. Now, in this case, with Philip and the Ethiopian, God had some, some incredible good in store. Um, God was about to send the gospel to the ends of the earth. But, of course, we're not quite there yet. Let's let's back up and just see how this all plays out. It says, uh, well, actually, I'll... I'll uh, Yeah, as the man was was struggling to understand the the book of Isaiah, and and I think maybe some of us can relate to that, uh, he invites Philip to come along in the carriage and and explain it to him as they go. Uh, And so it says in verse 32, the passage of scripture that he had been reading was this. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a lamb, or as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Now, this was actually a widely debated question at the time, even among the the Jewish scholars. Uh, Some believed that Isaiah was talking about himself, uh, since the the prophets of God were certainly no strangers to to pain and and suffering and persecution. So some people thought he was talking about himself. Uh, Others saw this as he was talking about the entire nation of Israel suffering persecution at the hands of of the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Romans over the centuries. Um, And some did believe that this was talking about the Messiah. But of course, that was pretty hard for them to To grasp and accept because they didn't want to think of their Messiah as as a suffering servant, right? That's not the image of the Messiah that they had back then. That's why they had such a hard time accepting Jesus because, you know, he didn't fit the picture of what they had in their mind. Uh, But nonetheless, Jesus is the Messiah and, and this passage is talking about him. And so we read in verse 35, it says, so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Now talk about the, the perfect setup for him. Hey, if, you're, if you're an evangelist type person, I mean, what a, what a gift to have just dropped into your lap. God had totally set everything up, right? The, the man's trip to Jerusalem, his purchase of the, the book of Isaiah, uh, Philip's journey down this desert road. Uh, God worked out the timing so that everything was perfect. Even, even down to the details of what verses that man would be reading at that moment when Philip comes up to, to his carriage there. I mean, can there be any doubt that God was at work in this situation and in this man's life? You know, and like I said earlier, God does this sort of stuff all the time. This is not a one-time deal. God does this every day in your life. Uh, he, he, he arranges people and places and events uh, in just the right way to accomplish his purposes. And our job is simply to be attentive and to be obedient to his voice. Now, of course, we don't always get to be the guy who gets to share the gospel at just that right time. You know, sometimes we're the guy who, who sells the scroll of Isaiah to this minister of finance. Sometimes we're the guy who, who feeds the donkeys that are going to pull his carriage. Sometimes we're the, we're the farmer that gives him the, the shortcut through the desert, right? Whatever it is, we all have a different part to play. And sometimes they're just mundane activities that we don't, we don't realize that God is using. But God uses every moment of our lives for his purposes. We have no idea how how many of our just routine, regular day-to-day activities God is using as part of his plan to carry out his purposes. You know, God works out the details. We just need to be attentive and obedient to his voice. And of course, in our passage, Philip was doing exactly that. He was obedient to everything that God said. And he was attentive to the opportunities that God put into his lap. As soon as he heard uh, that the man was reading through Isaiah, I'm sure it all just came together in his mind. And he knew how he was going to use that passage to present the gospel to him. Uh, and with incredible results, too. Look at what happens next. Verse 36 it says, as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, if you're paying very close attention, you'll notice that there's no verse 37 in that little passage that we just read there uh, and it might be missing from your bibles as well uh, some translations include it some translations do not uh, and the reason that some translations don't have it is because some of the the oldest and the most reliable manuscripts that we have of of luke's gospel or not his gospel but uh, the book of acts uh, they don't include this verse some people think that it may have been may have been added in a little bit later on uh, not original to what luke had written there now, of course, the, the, the missing verse in question uh, doesn't detract from or, or uh, contradict the scriptures. In fact, it actually, it, it kind of fills out the, the conversation quite nicely with some good, solid theology. We just don't know if it's part of what Luke originally wrote or not. But let me show you the verse, anyways, and, and then you scholars can decide what you want to do with it. So, with the, verse 37 included, this passage reads like this As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? You can, Philip answered, if you believe with all your heart. And the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So I think it's pretty clear that with or without that verse, uh, this man did totally believe that Jesus Christ was the resurrected Son of God, um, and and that he was ready to be baptized as a sign of his repentance and, and his faith in Jesus. And of course, that's the the same message that Peter had pre or that Philip had preached earlier in Samaria that Peter had preached back in Jerusalem. And that's the same message that we preach here today. You know, Jesus Christ is the resurrected son of God. He died so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. We need to believe in him and trust in him for salvation and be baptized as a sign of our repentance and our faith in him. And so I just encourage you today. uh, Have you accepted that message in your life? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Son of God? Do you believe that he died for your sins, your your personal sins, so that you could be forgiven and have eternal life with him in heaven? And to to go one step further, have you been baptized as a sign uh, of your obedience to him, your submission to him, your your connection with him, your unity? And if you can't answer yes to all of those questions, I'd really ask you to consider, well, why not? Why haven't you made that choice yet? Um, I would love to, to be able to have another baptism service yet, even this year. It's still warm outside. We can do it out in a, in a lake or a river or in a creek beside the road. Do they all work, apparently? And so if God's speaking to you, that to say yes to any of those questions, I'd love to know about it and, and help you to begin this journey walking with God. Uh, I can certainly tell you uh, that God loves you like crazy. He loves you so much that he died for you. He wants you to experience his peace and his joy uh, and his goodness. He wants that for you. So choose today to follow him. Uh, be, be like this Ethiopian man. and Say, hey, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And while you're thinking about that, let's go back to our passage. And we'll just see how this story concludes. Verse 39 says, when they, came, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away eunuch never saw him again but went on his way rejoicing meanwhile philip found himself farther north at a town of azotus he preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to caesarea it's kind of a surprise ending to have philip just kind of snatched away like that and transported somewhere else we're not really given any explanation of why God chose to do this, uh, we might assume that maybe it's to, you know, just as a, a miraculous sign to this, this man and his entourage that Philip truly was a, a messenger sent from God. Uh, that's speculation. We don't really know. We're not told. But either case, uh, what we do know is that the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. And that might seem like maybe a, an unimportant detail, but I think it's pretty telling. Uh, one of the, the sure signs that a person has been truly saved is that they're filled with joy, right? It's one of the fruits of the spirit. It's a natural outcome of knowing and being with Jesus is that you're filled with joy. And so I think it's quite telling that this man goes on his way rejoicing. As for Philip, he finds himself uh, in another town a little further north, the the town of Azotus, uh, which is actually the the, used to be the old Philistine town of Ashdod. If you remember from your your Old Testament stories, Um, it's now actually in uh, Israelite territory. It's the town of Azotus now. But Philip preaches the the gospel there, too, and in all the little towns as he makes his way to Caesarea. Uh, and that's actually about all that we hear about Philip for now. Uh, in fact, we only hear about him, I think it's only just once more uh, in Acts chapter 21, when Paul actually comes to Caesarea and stays at Philip's house. And there we're told that Philip has four daughters who all have the, the gift of prophecy. Uh, so it seems that Philip has settled down in Caesarea, maybe maybe gets married, but he's got four daughters now and he's he's taught them the ways of the Lord. They're following God and they have the gift of prophecy. Um, but of course, that's, that's getting way ahead of ourselves. That's Acts chapter 21. Uh, we're only in Acts chapter 9 next week. And that's actually when we begin our story of Saul. We're going to read through Saul's conversion. We're going to see again how God just arranges all kinds of things uh, so he can carry out his purposes in the life of Saul. Uh, But again, we'll do that next week. For now, we'll just close here. We'll pray and then I'll send you off into your week. So let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you so much for your Word, uh, for these incredible stories, things that, that really happened some 2,000 years ago uh, that just detail for us how you work and, and what you do in people's lives. And we're so thankful uh, for the example of, of Philip, to see his obedience no matter what you ask him to do, uh, just trusting that, that you're you're doing what you need to be doing. Uh, we thank you for the Ethiopian who who readily accepts the message of Christ and, and chooses to follow you in obedience. And and uh, as the history book say he goes on and he's a missionary to his hometown uh, in Ethiopia. And many people have come to know uh, Christ through through him. And so God, we just uh, think of our own lives and and as you work in us and through us, we're just amazed at what you do. We pray that each one here, if they don't have a personal relationship with you, that they would choose today to enter into that relationship, that they would surrender their lives to, to your lordship, that they would accept uh, and believe that you are the, the resurrected Son of God, they put their trust in you, and they would choose to follow you in obedience uh, and be baptized. God, what a, a joy that would be. God, we just thank you again for this encouragement. Pray that you continue speaking to us uh, through the rest of the week. We know sermons don't usually end on Sunday, but you continue bringing them up and you speak to us through the rest of the week, convicting our hearts and and prompting us. So we pray that that would happen this week indeed. Uh, So we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.